All right, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Excellent book if you haven't given it a read already. Um, written by David Goggins, it's, it reads very well. And uh, there's a lot of useful things I got out of this book. So I just have my notes up here on my computer right behind the camera here. And I'm going to go through a few of the things that I went and learned. If you can see, I have many markers in the book. So without further ado, the first thing I learned from this book was something called accountability, right? This is something that David takes very seriously. And uh, if you just think it through very quickly, it makes a lot of sense, right? What it means to be accountable is just to really take responsibility and to see that everything that happens in your life is your fault or your it's because of what you did, right? It's you're doing what happens in your life. And if you just think this through really quickly, I mean, when things go right, right, we always think that we're the best and we caused it. And the, the trouble usually comes up when things go wrong. We start to say like outside uh, influences cause our situation to happen the way they did. But there's something that we give up when we say that. And it's that if we were to say that, say, let's say, for example, I say a lot, but let's say, for example, that we failed a test, right? You could, you could draw it up to outside influences like my teacher sucked or uh, I didn't have the same opportunity as everybody else because the it was snowing and my house crumbled or whatever, you know, some crazy, uh, crazy circumstance. And, and it, so there's probably some truth to that, that it wasn't your fault. But when you draw it up to circumstance and outside of your control, you give up the opportunity to correct it, right? You don't have the option to make it better next time because it's not your fault. You don't have any control. When you take accountability and you say, I didn't pass this test because I didn't study or I didn't put in the work necessary to pass this test, you take control back because what that says is, yeah, I screwed up the first time. Going forward, I have the option to screw up again or not. And it can be painful because you do have to admit you screwed up, but again, you get the control back. Um, so in the book, David Goggin gives uh, one way how he started becoming more accountable in life. Uh, it's something through what he called the accountability mirror. And I have a quote here from the book I'm going to read. And just to give you a little bit of context of when this quote's happening, it's right after uh, David Goggins, he applies to the Air Force and fails, right? Uh, he, he, he couldn't do the academic, the test part of it where you have to write uh, all the answers on a test because he cheated his way all the way through high school, middle school. He had a third grade level reading level and he was in grade 12, right? He's level three and he's in grade 12. And uh, so he fails and this is what he does after the test, right? He says, a new ritual was born. One that stayed with me for years. It would help me get my grades up, whip my sorry ass into shape and see me through graduation and into the Air Force. The ritual was simple. I'd shave my face and scalp every night, get loud and get real. I set goals, wrote them on post-it notes, and tagged them on what I now call my accountability mirror because each day I'd hold myself accountable to the goals I'd set. At first, my goals involved shaping up my appearance and accomplishing all my chores without having to be asked. Right, and then he goes on to name a few goals. Make like your bed like you're in the military every day, pull up your pants, shave your head, cut the grass, wash the dishes. Now, there's a few things I want to unpack here from, uh, from that quote, from that uh, little blurb, I should say. And it's, first of all, he's talking about how he has accountability mirror, which he checks in every day and he writes his goals out and puts them on the mirror so he can see them and see if he actually accomplished what he did, right? In life, we got to be more organized or not, not everybody, but a lot of us can benefit from being more organized and actually having our goals out there so we can see. 
But not only that, notice what his goals were. They weren't huge things. It was doing his chores and making his appearance a little bit more, a little bit better, right? He'd pull up his pants and shaved his head every morning and cut the grass, right? The chores and appearance. Why is this significant? Is because you got to notice that his his uh, his goals at the beginning weren't. It wasn't to move the mountain and to learn everything you need to learn to get into Air Force School. It wasn't anything like that. It was fixing the foundation of our habits. All right. And Jordan Peterson talks a lot to, about this too when he talks about uh, cleaning your room. He says also to clean or go wash the dishes. And why it's so important is you have to realize you can't move a mountain, okay, unless you already have the small things figure, figured out, right? If you're trying to make a million dollars and you can't even keep your room clean or you can't even uh, cut the grass in the morning, do you really think you're going to have the what it takes to make a million dollars later on, right? And that's why it's so important for us to really get the small things right first and then give us some momentum so later on we can get more and more things uh, going our way. Um, and that's how he started off with accountability mirror. But there's also another thing that you, I wanted to know here. It says, he says he got loud and got real, right? And then he goes on later on in the next page. He says, geez, he says, I didn't dance around and say, geez, David, you are not, you're not taking your education very seriously. No, I had to own it in the raw because the only way we can change is to be real with ourselves. Right. If you don't know shit and you have never taken school seriously, then say I'm dumb. Tell yourself you need to get your ass to work because you're failing, you're falling behind in life. Right. And what this is saying is you can't you can't be you can't lie to yourself when you're trying to be accountable for your actions. All right. One thing that I've found in my life and maybe you have in yours is that nobody really tells you where you're going wrong or how wrong you're actually going and it's oftentimes it's you're going so far off track before anybody mentions it and they go back on track would take a humongous amount of effort to go back right so it's best normally to be able to either to find really honest friends although that can be very difficult because most people don't want to tell you you're you're fucking your life up or just to be honest with yourself and not to fluff around what's actually happening don't live in a fantasy right don't live in a fantasy because when we start saying that everything's okay when it's not, when we start saying that it's okay, we're, we're maybe we're 30 pounds overweight and we're just start and we want to be uh, attractive. We want to be in good shape and we're, we're 30 pounds overweight. We know it, but we go to the mirror and we might say, you know what? I'm 30 pounds overweight, but it's okay. I'm, I'm beautiful too. I'm, I'm still healthy. When a, you, you don't, you look at yourself and you don't think you're beautiful. You, I mean, you just look at yourself and you don't think it, but you'll say it anyways, just to make yourself feel better. And B, you, maybe you have bad, uh, blood pressure and you're, you're clearly not healthy because of your weight, but you still lie to yourself. That's stopping you from being accountable. Being accountable means being honest and then taking, taking what you see and actually doing stuff with it, right? You gotta, you gotta take responsibility and understand that you're causing these screw-ups to happen or you're causing these uh, successes to happen and you got to take go from there to where you want to go so if you're screwing up you got to realize okay this is what this here i'm i'm terrible i'm terrible at math right i got to get better at math i'm i'm an idiot when it comes to math so here's what i have to do xyz and then i'm going to get better at math right and a lot a lot of times i find people are a little bit afraid myself included all right i'm, I'm definitely not exempt from this 
to do this because it's it sucks right to say that you screwed up it's not something that anybody wants to do and i just have another example of david doing this later in the book he says uh this is after he failed uh he failed the physical training right he he got taken out because his uh i think he broke his foot or something and then the medical staff said he couldn't continue any longer so he says maybe i should move on and become a firefighter that's a badass job and it would be an opportunity to become a different sort of hero. But on day three, as the train veered into Chicago, I slipped into a bathroom the size of a phone booth and checked in with the accountability mirror. Is that really how you feel? Are you sure you're ready to give up on the seals and become a civilian fireman? I stared at myself for five minutes before I shook my head. I couldn't lie. I had to tell myself the truth out loud. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of going through all that shit again. I'm afraid of day one, week one. And as you can see here, David's a very honest guy with himself. And that's the key, right? One of the keys to David's, David Goggin's success in life was he was so real with himself, with himself that he would tell himself why he wasn't doing things. And it's, it's nobody likes saying they're afraid. I, I hate saying I'm afraid of something. But David Goggins sits in the mirror, tells him, okay, what's going on? I'm afraid. I'm vulnerable. I am stupid at this i suck i don't want to do this okay let's let's work with that how can we make this better he goes on later to uh overcome his fear starts training a little bit more and then he goes back and actually accomplishes the uh the training um the next thing that i learned from i got from the can't hurt me was uh something called the 40 percent rule by david goggins and he says he says in our mind we have something called the the governor okay and it's a, sort of like a, uh, he, he compares it to the, I don't even know what it's called, but some, a, a part in your car that limits how much exhaust fuel can go or fumes can go out through your car. That it kind of, it throttles your power, right? And he says we have the same thing in our mind for our willpower and our, uh, for our output, really. So I know I'm explaining it terribly, but trust me, I'm going to get there. So what 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 he says is basically that we only operate at 40 percent our potential every day basically when we do things and we quit we quit about about when we're about 40 percent way through our potential like so for example if we ran 40 kilometers right that's a lot of kilometers but say we ran 40 kilometers and said we're done david says you could have ran 100 kilometers at your max potential. And it might take some training. It might take some time to get there. But your this 40 kilometers that you think is your max isn't your max. And you have a lot, a long way to go. It's going to take a lot of training. It's going to take a lot of power and will to get there. But you can get there. Now, this isn't to be confused, right? Now... Here's a little bit of proof that David gives uh, gives up for uh, why it's true. And it's that uh, just think back to your life when you gave up on any sort of objective. Were you physically incapacitated, right? Were the laws of physics really stopping you? And in some cases they were, and maybe it wasn't the 40% rule, but in oftentimes the case that we just stop because we don't believe we can is this thing up here, our minds telling us to stop going, right? Um, I'm going to bring a little blurb out from the book that David kind of goes through the same struggle. Um, let's go. Page 93. So David is trying to lose weight. He needs to lose 105 pounds, I think it was, 
in three months, right? He wants to join. He wants to go to the Buds training, which is basically Hell Week. And uh, he has to lose 100 pounds to qualify to even enter before he can do the training. So he goes on a, so he goes on a run, and he runs maybe uh, three, I think it was like a quarter mile, and he goes home because he's 100 pounds overweight trying to get into Buds training, and uh, he can't do it. So here's what he says. He goes back out afterwards, and he says this. On my first run, I felt severe pain in my legs and my lungs at a quarter mile. My heart raced and I stopped. This time, I felt the same pain. My heart raced like a car running hot, but I ran through it and the pain faded. By the time I bent over to catch my breath, I had run a full mile. Ooh. That's when I realized that not all physical and mental limitations are real and that I had a habit of giving up way too soon. I also knew that it would take every ounce of courage and toughness I could muster to pull off the impossible. I was staring at hours, days, and weeks of non-stop suffering. I would have to push myself to the very edge of mortality. I had to accept the very real possibility that I might die because this time I wouldn't quit, no matter how fast my heart race and no fatter, no matter how much pain I was in. So look at what he said there, right? That's when I first realized that not all physical and mental limitations are real and I had a habit of giving up way too early, right? He already went out the first time and he literally thought he wasn't going to be able to run one mile and he ran a quarter mile and stopped. And then he did it again and he did, by the time he had to stop and ch catch his breath, he ran through all the pain, he ran through anything that was his mind telling him to stop, he'd run a full mile, right? Think back to your life. Do you think you really gave your all every time? I know for a fact I haven't I, 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 when it comes to studying, right? How, how long do you study? Uh, some some people say you can't concentrate after four hours, five hours of studying, and there there is some truth to that, right? There is some truth to that for sure. I mean, your your brain definitely has a, a limit, but it takes you can train it up to work harder and work faster and work longer, right? You don't you don't have to give in to your limit your limitations that your mind sets out for you at the very beginning, and. Uh, David argues oftentimes throughout the book that we should put ourselves through suffering and through uh, excess pain and push through it, right? The start count, as I kind of like the quote by uh, Muhammad Ali, he doesn't start counting uh, sit-ups until they start to hurt. David says that's the most important part, time when you should do sit-ups, when it starts to hurt. That's when you start to make the real gains and you start to develop later, I'll talk about it later on, the mental callus of being able to push through suffering and make real great achievements. Oops. Um, then he talks again on page 112, David talks about, uh, let me bring it up here. He talks about, uh, how life is just a, or page 113, excuse me. He talks about more how it's all mind game. He says, Hell Week was a mind game. The instructors used our suffering to pick and peel away our layers, not to find the fittest athletes, to find the strongest minds. That's something the quitters don't understand until it's too late. And again, it's just showing that we... Very rarely do we physically die, we're physically incapacitated, we die, we, we're stopped by the law of physics. Very rarely does that happen when we quit, and more often than not, it's just happening up here long before it's happening in, in the physical world. Alright, so the next thing that I got from the, oops, my computer doing a little bit of funny things here, but the next thing that I got from this book was something David calls the cookie jar, all right? And you might have heard David Goggins actually talk about this before. And what it, what it is is that 
A let's think of what a cookie jar is normally. A cookie jar is obviously a jar you put cookies in, but the cookies represent something, okay? The cookies that David Goggins are talking about is a little bit of motivation, okay? So what you have to do or what David Goggins recommends doing is thinking of times where you accomplished things that you thought impossible, whether it be doing really good on that test, running really far that one time, uh, uh, speaking in front of a really big crowd and doing a good job, even if you didn't do a bad job, speaking in front of a very big crowd and not 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 uh, peeing yourself or something, or something of that nature, right? Think of those times and use that to motivate yourself for the next time, okay? And they don't have to be big and they can gradually get bigger, right? So I'll take a quote here from the book, page 190. David Goggins is running a 100 mile race. Okay, a hundred miles, and uh, he draws from. The, he he starts to talk about the cookie jar, and just just watch what he says. He says, "I'm talking about utilizing past success to fuel your new, fuel you to new and bigger ones. Because in the heat of battle, when shit gets real, we need to draw inspiration to push through our own exhaustion, depression, pain, and misery. We need to spark a bunch of small fires to become the motherfucking inferno." Then he goes on to say, "The cookie jar became my energy bank." Whenever the pain got to, to be too much, I dug into it and took a bite. The pain was never gone, but I only felt it in ways because my brain was otherwise occupied, which allowed me to drown out the simple questions and to shrink time. Each lap became a victory lap, celebrating a different cookie, another small fire. So mile 81 became 82. An hour and a half later, I was in the 90s. I'd run 90 fucking miles without no training. Who does that shit? But the most important thing I want to highlight here, he says, mile 81 became 82. And what he did was, he ran 82 miles, which is incredible. We can, we don't, me and you don't have to run 82 miles to utilize this little mental trick. But, but, but just go on with it. He, mile 81 became mile 82. It's because draw on to times where you beat what you thought was impossible to realize your mind is the one stopping you and use that motivation to drive you further, right? He also talks about in the book, he would think of uh, Rocky. And I would argue that's also part of the cookie jar, although David might not, uh, he, might, he might not say it is. But what he's doing is he's drawing inspiration from heroes before, uh, from heroes, right? And uh, if you can make yourself the hero of your story, it's even better because it's, it's more relatable. But he would draw it onto Rocky. Alexander the Great did the same thing with ancient Greek myths. He would always think of how Hercules or Achilles did the impossible. We need to think of the impossible and really contrast that and use our own experience to prove to ourselves that we can keep going. Our mind wants to stop, but physically, we're not dead yet. Um, later in the book, he talks about, I'm not going to bring up the quote just because uh, uh, it's, it's a little redundant, but he talks about how you you quit long before you actually make the decision to quit right and you got to use a cookie jar before you before you head down the downward spiral he says people in ultra marathons they decide the, the, at the moment they stop running they they've quit long before that right they quit hours before so you got to keep using the cookie jar you keep got to draw from the past uh, experiences of mega successes from your life or fictional characters lives that you can relate to and use that to motivate you at all times Now, David Goggins also talks about in the books as a term of taken souls. And you, you might have heard of this, him talk about this too. 
it's not nothing complicated. Really, all it means is that to use other people's doubts or use other people's uh, thoughts, really, uh, as a motivation for you, right? So if somebody doubts you, use that to push you a little further because we love to prove people wrong, right? How, how good would it feel if your boss told you or, or some bully told you that you couldn't, you you weren't going to pass this math test, okay? So you're, you're, so then you take your time, you study your ass off, and you get 100. You don't just pass it, you get 100. You surpass your expectations far and wide. What do you think the face on that bully... What, what do you think that bully's face would look like, right? Now imagine you're doing sales, okay? And everybody says you're not, you can't sell shit. You can't sell for shit. You suck. So you do a bunch, you do, you work your ass off. You watch every sales training you can, right? You record your sales calls. You watch them back and look at how you can make them better, right? You, you go all in, right? And you, you're the number one in the company. How good would that feel? You just took all their souls, as David would say. And... It just means to really surpass your expectations and use that to motivate you in a certain sense. Um, it's a good tip. It's a good tip. Don't do it the wrong way. Some some things you don't need to take people's souls. All right. Some some activities are a little bit more uh, me versus me rather than me versus you. So keep always keep that in mind. You can always take your old past self soul. But the next thing David talks about is something called the calluses of the mind. All right, and it's, it's, again, this is probably, I think this is probably uh, one of the major themes of the book and one of the best things David gives us in the book. And uh, I'm going to bring up a quote because I think it describes it very well, and then I'll talk a little bit about it afterwards. I remember my very first day back in the gym in Indiana. My palms were soft and quickly got torn up on the bars because they weren't accustomed to gripping the steel. But over time, after thousands of reps, my palms built up a thick callus as protection. The same principle works when it comes to mindset. Until you experience hardship like abuse, bullying, failures, and disappointments, your mind will remain soft and exposed. Right? Life experience, especially negative ones, help callous the mind. So, this is a sort of way of giving your hard experiences some meaning and to actually seek out hard experiences. Okay? David Goggins in his life, this guy went through so much hard experiences, his calluses are going to be a, about a goddamn foot thick. Ours don't have to be that thick, but they can be a lot thicker than what they are generally. Because think of it this way. What, when, you're, when your mind is, when you're feeling bound, bad, down, out, we can handle that in two ways. We can either... Uh, fight back against it or we can kind of succumb to the pressure and if you have no calluses in your mind in the same way that if you fight against the pressure you're pulling a lot of weight your hands are going to get ripped up and you're going to get hurt and it's going to be bad it's going to be really bad but the mind same thing's going to happen so we got to start training ourselves to seek out some uh, some uh, pain some displeasure to actually help us be stronger when we need it all right so so some examples and practical ways we could do that now is David really recommends running, running really far. And if you're really good at running, swimming, right? Seek out things that you're bad at and do them. Do them until it hurts. Do them until it hurts and then do them some more, right? Don't stop when it hurts, right? So if you're, if you're bad at running, run. If you're bad at, if you're not really smart in school, start studying your ass off. Study every day. If you're, if you're really bad at sales, well, go out there and sell every day, you know? Do it until you do it. 
even when it sucks, because when it sucks, that's when you're making the real progress when it comes to callous in your mind. Um, now, let's see here. There's a few other little nice tidbits that David has here. I'm just going to do two more, um, and I'll do the last two very quickly at the end. But The next thing is called Me versus Me. Mindset is always me versus me. So at page 282, and David talks about a little bit of how he was not mean to standards, but it's, it's, it's in an interesting way. You, got, you have to see it. To, you got to hear it to understand. So he says, once again, I looked at that lack, lack of lag time as an opportunity to be uncommon. Not that anybody else was watching, but when it comes to mindset, it doesn't matter where other people's attentions lie. I had my own uncommon standards to live up to. Why this is significant is that David wasn't competing with anybody and nobody is watching, but he still pushes himself to the limit because it's me versus me, right? Nobody's attention was on him, but he was still pushing himself to the next level. And why? So the reason why this is so important is because I don't think we realize, or at least I don't realize myself, how much the little things ride over into other parts of our lives, right? If we start being slackers when it comes to uh um, you know it's just it's just you running out there in the in the field and you're not even training for anything and you're really tired and you know you got another five kilometers left in you but you still quit because you know i'm tired nobody's watching who cares well that's probably going to leak out to other parts of your life david would argue like for example when you're actually training and you're actually doing the when you're actually doing the, uh, you're actually doing things that matter, right? So even when nobody's watching, we always got to keep the mindset present and know that we're still competing. You're always competing against yourself, no matter who's watching, because you're always watching, right? And I, I just thought that was a really uh, good tip. Um, another thing David talks about, something called AARs, After Action Reports. And uh, he talked about this after failing the, the pull-up, the most he, did, he right now David Goggin has the record for the most pull-ups in the world in the in 24 hours excuse me most pull-ups in 24 hours and he failed it twice before that one thing he did was he never took the failures as that he did an after action report and always learned from his failures um, you see this trait where most successful people to be honest it's not unique to David Goggins at all but nonetheless it's still a very good trait to have and uh, just cool to note that even David Goggins has it um and that's pretty much it i got from this book three other things i noted was david goggins never has excuses uh david goggins make sure you always have a good why for why you're doing it uh one thing to note there is david goggins why was always intrinsic for him it was always about callousing his mind or becoming tougher you know uh and the last thing is david goggins was a sort of stoic he enjoyed the pain enjoyed the pain for as much as you can say that and it yeah, that's it. That's what I got from Can't Hurt Me by written by David Goggins. Um, I know I didn't do the best description of everything in the book, but, you know, I think this description is probably, like, this book review is better than my last book review, so there's a win right there. One thing I think, leave a comment down below for what you think uh, could make these reviews better. I mean, I'm really trying to educate myself and you, you guys out there, too. So leave a comment down below if you have any other things that, any great tips from David Goggins I forgot to mention. And as always... Have a good day.